I believe the, the, the only way to really maintain it while scaling is to apply culture in all your people process. So when you hire people, making sure that uh, the, 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 the people you hire uh, have bring their diversity to the company, but still comes for this, the right reasons that you need us together. Uh, promoting people towards your culture, towards what you think is important in building your company, and obviously firing people when you, you start having uh, uh, discrepancies uh, on, a, on a cultural way. Hi, and welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show brought to you by SaaStock. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and on this week's episode, I talk with Rod Ardon, CEO and co-founder of Spendesk, about how to build a global company. An engineer by education, Rod always enjoyed building stuff and co-founded his first company, Wozake, pretty much straight after college. In 2013, it was acquired and Rod started plotting his next venture. He increasingly saw the discrepancy between how people could pay for things in their personal life and professional. Spending time manually uploading receipts, always needing to borrow a credit card from a manager was outdated, he believed. Spendesk was born in September 2015 to improve this. By the following June when the product launched, Rod and company had made a bold statement to the media. They would be operating in multiple markets from the start. To make that happen and scale it, Spendesk has had to be global from day one, doing massive amounts of customer research to understand the local mindset and hiring with inclusivity in mind. Listen on to learn how Spendes decided which markets to approach. The choice of the different markets we were addressing, the first thing we were, we were limited to Europe for a regulatory perspective. So we are selling solutions, a SaaS for our customers, but we integrate with payment methods into our solutions. So we are more like a fintech firm. And you know, when you, when you manage payments, you need to work with regulated entities that have the right to uh, issue cards, to manage transactions, uh, 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 for uh, for your customers, and uh, actually you don't have uh, today uh, uh, partners or banks that can work on the global uh, space. So the first one we worked on was capable to work on the U- European space. So that was the larger possible uh, addressable market that we could address. And that's where we started. We didn't start with France, we started with, okay, let's say we, we, we are European first. One simple thing that's allowed him to build a great foundation for an international team. And to achieve that, one of the first things we did was to set English as the standard communication language in the company. And it was very weird at the beginning, you know, where we were only five French people working on the on the, uh, together to have this communication, this oral uh, and written communication in English uh, from day one. And this is something which is actually very unusual in France. Uh, but it was the only way to, to, to reach our goals. And when we started to have the first international people coming into the team, actually the, 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 so the mixing was very easy. How he has created a feeling of belonging among all his employees things we, we, we've done on that is really making sure that every people from a, a new culture or a new country express exactly uh, for their culture, uh, what culture is, uh, is in their country, what's the kind of communication they accept, uh, their way of working to really understand how we can adapt to each other and making sure that you know there is no hard feelings or frustration which is just issued by communication, but not uh, not an alignment on what, what we want to, to go together. 
Going global from the early days and building teams that are not simply diverse, but also inclusive, topics that speakers from around the world will be covering at length at SASTOP 19 on October the 14th to the 16th in Dublin. For the full agenda and tickets, head over to sasdot.com. But if you're a SAS founder that's looking to get traction, grow your business or scale your business, then you'll be amongst company, good company, 4,000 other founders uh, and execs, around three to 400 VCs, 200 great speakers that are sharing their lessons in how to grow and scale a SaaS business. Uh, it's going to be the United Nations of SaaS for three days in Dublin. Go and buy a ticket now at sas.com if, uh, if you haven't got your ticket already. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show. Uh, Rod Ardant, uh, co-founder and CEO of Spendesk. Welcome, Rod. Hi, Alex. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. How, how, was, how was I with the pronunciation of the surname? That's good. I, in French, we say Ardant, but uh, Ardant? it's Ardant. <laughs> it's French. Ardant. Okay. It's hard in English. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a very good point there. So, so, so tell us um, uh, a little bit uh, about yourself. Who is, uh, who is Rod Ardant? <laughs> Uh, who I am? That's a good question. Uh, to present maybe yeah, quickly myself, I'm 37. Uh, I'm the father of two kids. Um, on my background, I graduated as an engineer, uh, creating my first company just right after school in 27. And uh, I see myself more like a builder. What I like to do is really finding solutions to complex problems uh, on a product on a product on product way. I sold my first company in 2013. I took up a role of CEO at Drivey, peer-to-peer car rental marketplace, but eventually got back to my uh, you know, entrepreneurial roots and started a new company, which is Spendesk. And yeah, and apart from, uh, from work, I really, I'm really fine of uh, you know, big nature uh, uh, space. I love hiking. I love the mountains. So that's, that, that's me. We're customers of Spendesk, so I, I know what it is. But for the audience that are listening, uh, what is Spendesk? Uh, why did you decide to start it? And then can you give us some more details just about the company um, in terms of like numbers, uh, you know, how big you are, uh, whether you've raised, how much you've raised, you know, re- any revenue sort of metrics that you can share, that sort of thing? Sure. Happy to do that. So what is Spendesk? The, mi- the mission we have is pretty simple to understand. We we want to help businesses to, uh, to spend smarter. So we are building a comprehensive spend management solution that allow employees and people uh, working in companies to spend the company money easily, but with all the control and visibility required by the financial teams. Uh, and so why, why we started this business? Why, why we started focusing on this problem? Because uh, I believe that the way we pay for things at work is totally broken. I mean, if you look at your private life, you can pay for anything with only a few clicks. It's very easy to pay, but at work, it's hard. Uh, and despite all the technology we, we have available today, the, the majority of companies uh, manage operational spending stick like it's, you know, 1995. They rely on old-fashioned, fragmented, and inefficient processes and systems. For example, you know, uh, you don't have company cards, so you need to ask your manager when you need to spend for something. Uh, people are spending a lot of time doing manual expense reports, uh, which is crazy because that's clearly not the job. Uh, you need to advance money for your company. So the experience of payments really sucks. And with all this process, which is normal because, I mean, what you're spending, it's not your own money, right? It's the, the company money. So 
financial teams are putting a lot of process to control that. And despite all this process, they've got a very poor visibility and control over uh, all these operational spend. So they take them a lot of time, you know, to reconcile all these payments, make the right allocation, control uh, uh, every transaction. So clearly there is something something we can do on that. And yeah, and so what, what we build, we, we build this platform solution that allows employees to access the company money, uh, whatever the payment method could be, uh, like if they need to spend by card, if, the, if they are in the office, if they are outside of the office, if they need to pay a supplier, under the control and uh, visibility of the financial team. And to give you, yeah, maybe some numbers on where we are, the company, we, we, we founded the company only three years ago. Uh, last year, we grew our team from 20 to 120 employees uh, and more than double our customer base uh, with more than today, 1,500 uh, businesses across Europe uh, in more than 30 countries. In terms of revenue, we don't communicate on IR, but we tripled uh, since the beginning our RR every year. So it's a it's pretty good growth rate. Was Spendest born out of eFounders or is, is this separate from, from eFounders? No, clearly we, we, we started the company. I started the company with eFounders. So when I was thinking on the business, I met the, the guys from eFounders. And actually we, we, we saw that we, 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 we were thinking actually to find a product to solve the same problem. So we decided to partner together and to build this business together. Uh, so yeah, uh, I know you, you know Wally Founders. So Founders, maybe to, to to remind, is a startup studio specialized in B two B SaaS, uh, uh, building uh, uh, SaaS solutions uh, and uh, companies um, that came out of the studio are companies like Spendesk, uh, Aircall, Front, uh, Mention also that uh, maybe some some people know. You're based you're based in Paris, and I've seen there there are some similar solutions to yours which are actually really just kind of country centric they just focus like on 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 one country but you guys kind of went well say global certainly like you were very like across europe um seemingly you know from from the get-go is is that right yeah totally it's uh it's really first a question of ambition so if our mission is to help businesses spend smarter it's spending smarter everywhere not just in france right uh or at least even in Europe. So the ambition we had from day one was really to build this new standard of payment at work. And we, we wanted to make sure that we could scale our product uh, uh, abroad easily. And for us, it was super inter- important to understand at the very early on uh, how we could scale this product. What, if the pain we were solving was, you know, a very local pain, what was local, what was uh, something more global, and it, it shaped a lot the architecture we had in building, you know, uh, the product itself to understand what needs to be localized and what's its more general purpose. And it, it was super important for us to be able to understand that and to talk with customers in different countries to uh, make sure that we, we could build something that could scale uh, internationally very, very easily. And I remember when we launched, uh, when we first launched, actually, it was June, uh, June 2016. Um, we had, a, so we were a very small, small team, you know, and the, the product was, was not what it was today, but we, we had this small trick of, uh, announcing in PR that we are 
uh, launching in many different countries just to gather some first leads uh, from France, from Germany, from the UK, and start talking with this prospect, understanding their pain, understanding the, the, the issue that they were facing with spending at work every day, is understanding exactly how things were different across these different countries. So we could you know, uh, uh, build the, the high product to answer to that. Obviously, France, you're based in France, you're in UK, I think Germany. What was the, the, the rationale behind, behind these markets uh, we, and some of the other ones if, uh, the, that I didn't mention? So the first thing is today, we, we, we are, our headquarters are in Paris and most of the team uh, is in Paris. We start to open new offices abroad. We, we opened a new office in Germany uh, last month. We are going to open an office in the UK. But for the moment, all the spendless cars are in Paris and we started to export our product and our business from Paris. Uh, the choice of the different markets we were addressing, the first thing we were, we were limited to Europe for a regulatory perspective. So we are selling solution, a SaaS for, for customers, but we integrate with payment methods into our solutions. So we are more like a fintech for them. And you know, when you, when you manage payments, you need to work with regulated entities that got the right to uh, issue cards, or to manage transactions, uh, 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 for uh, for your customers, and uh, actually you don't have uh, today uh, uh, partners or banks that can work on the global uh, space. So the first one we worked on was capable to work on the U- European space. So that was the larger possible uh, addressable market that we could address, and that's where we started. We didn't start with France. We started with okay, let's say we we, we are European first. Uh, and then the choice of the market we were developing were really focused on first, what's the potential uh, 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 of the market for our business. So we are addressing SMBs today, companies between 50 to 1,000 FT. And it was important for us to understand what were the market where the, the, the you know, the you say that, but the number of this company was high. So it makes sense on a business perspective to start focusing on this market and to invest on what has to be done uh, on the product to fit uh, locally with this market. Uh, So yeah, the first three countries we started with were France, the UK and Germany, which are one of the the three main markets uh, in Europe. How did you go about then building and shaping this team, knowing that you've got you're, you're serving sort of Europe, um, you know, from from day one, um, and uh, like obviously there there are you know many different kind of languages. Like how how did you uh, kind of build this out? Did you build like uh, uh, an international team? Obviously, is the you know was the product um, you know the website and everything you know all in. In English, or did you localize in French, in German, you know, in, in, in English? Um, how, did, how did you go about that? Uh, to get this global ambition, the first language we had for the product was English. And we localized uh, more later our product language uh, in French and German. Uh, but the, the first thing we wanted, we wanted to be able to onboard any customers in Europe. So the only language that could work was English. But more on the people, we also started very early on to build an international team. Uh, today, around 30% of our team uh, in Paris, in our headquarters, uh, have international background, uh, coming from 15 different countries. 
And obviously, because we are opening new offices in Germany and in, uh, in Great Britain, uh, the, the number of international spenders is going to increase uh, rapidly. And for us, it was important to, to ask ourselves how we could hire easily the best, easily, so it's never easy, but how we give us the best chance to hire the best talents for particular position in the company very early on. You know, uh, if you take the example of France, France, the, the, the SaaS background that we've got in France is not so high. It's hard to find very experienced people that have seen the adventure before, different times. Uh, and so uh, some talents are growing, but still that's not the best uh, in the world that you can attract. So far, it was super important to add that. And to achieve that, one of the first things we did was to set English as the standard communication language in the company. And it was very weird at the beginning, you know, where we were only five French people working on the, on the, <laughs> uh, together to have this communication, this oral uh, and written communication in English, uh, from day one. And this is something which is actually very unusual in France. Uh, but it was the only way to, to, to reach our goals. And when we started to have the first international people coming into the team, actually the, 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 so the mixing was very easy. They really, it was, we didn't have to change the behavior we had uh, uh, to, to onboard them and to make them feel they are part of this team. Uh, the, the second thing we did, we, we invested very uh, early on in working capabilities in remote. So for us, it was important to attract people in Paris, but also when we do that, we could not, making sure that people could work with us easily in remote. Um, and the last thing, if for this relocation, we, we wanted to make very, very easy for people to relocate in Paris. So to not stress them out, make sure that they could settle very quickly, that we take care of all the visa, all the admin procedure for them, that we can find apartments for them so they can, you, you know, really plug and play and come work with us in the team, even when the team was small, was small and we were a very small, uh, small company. What sort of percentage then of, of, of the team have actually relocated uh, to, to, to Paris? Today, around, so on the 30% which are from international background, I would say 15% were foreign people living in Paris for personal reasons, and half of them are people relocating uh, in Paris. And, and isn't there like for, for, uh, for, I guess, early kind of stage startup, um, you know, a lot of uh, expense and time and admin go, goes into, you know, helping kind of relocate, you know, personnel going through the visa processes, going, you know, finding the, the apartments. And these are kind of like additional expenses as you're, you know, at this kind of you know, early stage, um, you know, getting traction, you know, uh, getting your, your, your seed in sort of Series A um, uh, you know, funding, uh, was, was that a challenge, you know, for you or like consideration that actually you like, you know, could we do without relocating personnel or was it just essential that if you found the right talent that you had to kind of bring them to the office and it was, uh, it was worth the expense and the time? Even if people work in remote, uh, uh, you need to have them come, you know, for a big onboarding session with the team because it's super important in terms of knowledge sharing culture sharing. Uh, so that's something we, we always do. Uh, in terms of cost perspective, if you think that the first asset in the company and the, 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 the one that are going to make the company succeed in the end are the people in the company. So the, the value of the talents 
you bring in the company is so important for your growth that actually this relocations expense that you make it's not it's not very high investment compared to what you're going to get uh, and, uh, and how your company is growing uh, in the end. So for us, the decision saying, okay, actually we're going to pay you your rent for the first month, uh, we're going to pay you for your visa and we're going to help you to relocate easily in Paris was not a significant extra cost compared to the value we could get to have these people working with us, uh, uh, helping us achieve, achieve our mission. You mentioned sort of earlier that by regulations, you, you're sort of like limited to Europe. Is there plans to go to the US? Are you are you limited just to Europe or is there a scaling plan in, into the US uh, on the horizon? Clearly, because we've got we've got the ambition to be this global company, right? So for us, it's going to uh, it's important that we can figure out how we can bring the business outside of Europe in the end. For the moment, we are clearly focusing in Europe because that's a huge market. And again, we can operate it on a regulatory perspective. Changing market is a significant investment on a technical uh, perspective to find the right partners. Uh, and, you know, on fintech partners, there is always an entry cost, which is kind of high. Uh, uh, however, we are already discussing with customers and prospects outside of Europe just to understand, you know, the right positioning of the product, the differentiation that we need to have on our product to adapt to this market. So I'm trying to understand first the product market fit that we could have with this market. And yeah, and so it's going to happen and it may, may go to, uh, to happen faster than expected. What are some of the challenges that you've had, you know, as a business being, you, you know, I guess, kind of like pan-European, you, you know, from uh, from day one? Uh, the first one in Europe, you know, it's uh, we've got a huge market, but uh, with very uh, huge diversity, uh, uh, a huge di- di- cultural diversity. Um, so clearly, language is one, but everyone in Europe today is speaking English, uh, at least on a business perspective. So on a product perspective, that's not so important. It's more on the team, I would say. Um, you know, making sure that all these different cultures fit well together, understand their differences, you know, difference in communication. For example, in French people, they tend to be, you know, very, very critical on things. Uh, we, <laughs> that's one of our reputation, but I think it's very true. So the way we communicate, it's always, we always point the thing that's not working to try to improve it, etc. So we are very challenging people. Uh, and when you have, you know, people from the US on board, which are more, an always super positive attitude that can be kind of, uh, you know, way of communication can, can kind of sometimes don't work. Uh, and it's important. So things we, we, we've done on that is really making sure that every people from a, a new culture or a new country express exactly uh, how their culture, uh, what culture is, uh, is in their country, what's the kind of communication they accept, uh, their way of working to really understand how we can adapt to each other and making sure that, you know, there is no hard feelings or frustration, which is just issued by communication, but not, uh, not an alignment on what, 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 what we want to, to go together. Um, so that's, that's the first thing. And second thing to prevent that is also the knowledge base. You know, you get knowledge on 
your market and your customers when you're focusing on one market. So, for example, the first salespeople in France, they learn how to sell to salespeople, to, to, to French people, and what's the, what's the right process for these guys. And in Germany, actually, it's not exactly the same process. In the UK, it's not exactly the same process because people are not used to get contacted in the same way. Uh, you know, uh, for example, in the UK, there is a lot of cold calling. People are very pushy. Uh, if you do that in Germany, it's not going to work. Uh, so, uh, and actually sharing on the different things that was working on the different local markets with the teams uh, on the sales perspective uh, allowed us to, 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 to reinforce and to build a stronger process in, in the different countries. So actually, it was very rich for us to learn from these local specificities and improve our overall uh, performance as a company. So I think that's, that, that's a great asset. How early on in Spendesk Life did you codify the culture of the company uh, and what examples of uh, culture, uh, or what, what is the culture of Spendesk that you can share uh, that, that you try um, you know, and enable to ensure that there is a, a healthy culture within the business? That's something we we did very early on, you know, with the very first employees trying to understand what what brought us together and what kind of company we wanted to build. And uh, while growing and expanding internationally, it was it was super important for us to maintain, you know, what we call the culture uh, to make sure that we can unite all these different nationalities. Uh, and for me, culture is not just you know values; it's really all the things we can we believe together that make us be together and allow us collectively to take the right decision or take the right behavior. Uh, some main principles that we've got in our culture is a very good sense of ownership, strong transparency, always positivity and humbleness. So that's uh, some of the traits that 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 we are. Uh, but how do you maintain that? and you build that as you scale? It's I believe the, the, the only way to really maintain it while scaling is to apply culture in all your people process. So when you hire people, making sure that uh, the, 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 the people you hire uh, have bring their diversity to the company, but still comes for this, the right reasons that you need us together. Uh, promoting people towards your culture, towards what you think is important in building your company, and obviously firing people when you, you start having uh, uh, discrepancies uh, on, a, on a cultural way. Um, so this was this was super important for us when we grew from 20 to 120, and now that we are going to grow from 100 people to uh, 300, 400 people, uh, we need to find relay in the company in our culture. So that's what we started to really to find the culture ambassadors that are going to help us spread the culture and making sure we can maintain that uh, as we're going. Because basically, the hundred people that are now uh, in the company are the ones who are going to define who is the company when we are going to reach 300 or 500 people in the company, right? Uh, and and the, the other thing we, we try to do because we are going so fast is you know, is how you can set up the, the level of people at the same level many times uh, during the year. Because uh, what's, what's bring, one of the things that brings people together is the common memories they've got in the journey, in their journey with the company. And one of the things we are doing, we, we are doing twice offsite per year, where we bring the whole company uh, outside of the office really to first take a step back on the kind of company we are building and reassessing our vision, our culture, and making sure that we incarnate that daily. And second, making sure that we continue to mix and build common memories for people at the same same point that they can have and on which they can rely 
to 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 go to the next level. Um, so that's 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 the main thing we, we we're doing today. Awesome. We always um, ask our, our guests uh, this question, um, you know, as a final question, uh, which is, you know, how do you stay healthy and sane, you know, on your uh, on your journey as uh, you know CEO of a scaling SaaS company? So, what what is your way? This is hard because it's a super intense journey, but uh, um, I think I think one of the thing of my thinking process is. I, I take a break every year or three weeks where I really take a step back on my business, uh, you know, hiking in the mountains, cleaning my head, uh, 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 which is which is super important. And the second thing is your job is changing every four to six months uh, as a CEO and as a founder of this kind of company. Uh, and you don't know, you need to anticipate what, what is going to be the bottleneck you're going to face in the next six, six months. Uh, so the, the, the other thing I'm doing is obviously trying to learn a lot uh, from peers, from others, from people that have already been there, attending conferences like Sastock, where I, I, I can hear other founders telling me their stories, the difficulties they face, and trying to understand exactly what I need to start working on on my organization and on myself to grow, to face the different challenge I'm going to face in the future. Awesome. Well, uh, Rod, so it's, it's been a pleasure to speak to you uh, today. Um, looking forward to seeing you in, in Dublin next month at SASDOC 19 and, uh, and watching and listening to, to your talk. So, uh, Rod Ardant, uh, co-founder and CEO of Spendesk, uh, thanks for being a guest on the, uh, the SAS Revolution show. Thank you, Alex. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the SAS Revolution show and you picked up valuable lessons from Rod. Join Rod on the Spendesk team at SASDOC 19 on October the 14th to the 16th. We've got founders and execs of SaaS companies and VCs flying in from over 55 different countries to join us for three days of learning, networking, uh, and drinking Guinness as well. Um, so join us in Dublin for SaaStock 19. It's going to be the biggest and best yet. Super excited for that, as are the Spendesk team. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.